morning. Thank you for praying for us while we were away in D.C. or Tennessee, whichever you thought we were. We we were actually in Tennessee and uh, just spent some time with some family down there. We rented a house and uh, had a really good time. Good weather. Came back to almost all the snow melted, so we're happy happy to see that as well. Um, and I think that you were in good hands while we were away. I uh, listened to the Sunday school message and and I know um, uh, Bill Wilson always does an excellent job of opening the scriptures on Wednesday night. And then um, Dr. McCabe, I haven't had a chance to listen to those yet, but uh, I heard that he spoke from Job uh, 1 through 3 over the two services. And he's a man who, uh, I don't know if he mentioned this in his sermons, but he's a man who's recently gone through cancer and um, has been battling that. And uh, so he kind of understands, not to the extent that Job does, but he understands a little bit about what what it's like to go through trials. And so coming from a guy who's kind of walked in the same shoes, it, it uh, actually carries some weight with it, doesn't it? And uh, so the Lord is, is good in, in feeding us with, with His Word, and I hope that we will be able to feed on His Word some more today. Well, before we get started, uh, this week is is a is an exciting week for us. Lots of things happening. This Tuesday night, we're uh, starting our Christianity Explored, and um, this next Sunday, we have our 75th anniversary of our church. Lots of people uh, planning to come for that, and uh, so uh, lots of work involved in both of those things. We also have our st- our sign being installed this week. Last week, they had to get some preparation work with check the. Uh, um, the gas lines and make sure that they're not going to be uh, pouring a foundation right on them or breaking breaking up the gas lines. So they did some of that. So that's supposed to come in this week as well. Um, but in preparation for the Christianity Explored, I want to see if you... Uh, I, I want to try to get a close approximation of how many people we should expect because we didn't require uh, an RSVP for this event. We want people to be able to come even if they decide last minute, you know what, I, I forgot about this. I hadn't told anybody I was coming, but I plan to come. We want those type of people to come. So, um, so, But what, what would be helpful for, for us, particularly for Stacy, who's going to be uh, taking care of a lot of the food, um, if you know that you're coming and bringing somebody with you or if you know that someone's coming uh, and maybe maybe you're not able to come with them. So... It would be helpful now if, if you just raised your hand and gave me the number of fingers that you expect to come. So if you're coming and you're bringing somebody, just hold up two fingers for me. If just you're coming, then then one. You know, if you've got lots of people that you're expecting to come, um, then then raise up those number of fingers. All right. Okay. All right, and. Uh, if, if for some reason, you know, you, you thought of somebody or something changes later, even between now and, and Tuesday, it would be helpful for us to know. Um, I'm not going to put up a sign-up sheet or anything, but but um, that's, that's, that's helpful. So let me write that down here, and then I'll add the other people that I know of as well. All right, this morning we want to start a 13-week class, so about three months of a study on biblical counseling. And um, our, our overall goal there is for you on your handout to help you think how you can use God's wisdom to minister to those who seek your counsel. 
Now, there is a formal way that this takes place, and you should expect for people, when they see your life and as you live it out, they expect that, that you're going to be able to know how to answer questions. There's also an informal way that counseling happens. We'll talk about that more next week. But, but an informal way is people just asking your thoughts on a particular issue. And we'll talk about what counseling is, and I think then it'll become clear that this isn't just sitting across from a desk, spilling out one person spilling out all their problems, the other person answering you know, with, with a bunch of solutions. That's not what we're talking about um, only. That is part of it, but, but uh, that's not the only thing we're talking about. So let's look at where we're going here in this 13-week study. The first four weeks are foundational. What is biblical counseling? That's what we're going to look at this morning. Congregational counseling, the biblical heart. What, what's the importance of getting to the heart? Because a lot of change that's offered in counseling is behavioral change, particularly secular. And what we're looking to do is to see the heart change, and that's ultimately what biblical counseling is about. The fourth week is about following the wonderful counselor that's taken from Isaiah uh, to speak of Christ. And then weeks 5 through 12, we're going to go through... Uh, basically a structure. This is kind of provides a, a framework for us for counseling. Uh, this is Paul Tripp's book, and this is kind of the classic biblical counseling book that is recognized in, in a lot of Bible colleges and seminaries today. Instrument in the re- Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand will be leaning heavily on that. And there's four basic steps that you're looking to do when you're going through counseling. First is love. We'll take two weeks to look at that. Then know, and then speak, and then do. And then the thir- 13th week, the final week, we'll look at um, helping those who struggle with depression. Well, many of us has, have been in a position when someone has asked us for our counsel. So a good place to start is, what does it mean to give counsel? Well, it can mean a lot of things. It can mean just give advice or to advise someone. It can mean to give your an opinion on the subject. Everybody seems to have an opinion about about nearly everything, to provide guidance for someone's situation. or It's a recommendation regarding a decision or a course of conduct to speak wisely or unwisely into someone's life. Um, it could be to speak comfort or hope and encouragement. But very simply, counseling is the act of giving counsel to someone. It is the act of giving counsel to someone. Look at the second page because we see here Webster's Dictionary from 1979 defines counseling as professional guidance of the individual using psychological methods. This definition implies that that counseling is something that only someone who has a professional degree can give. It also says that when you provide counseling that you're helping people by providing psychological ways of feeling and behaving and thinking. But sadly, I think Webster's definition reflects how most of our society thinks of counseling, that it's something that's done in an office by a professional, and it's very psychological. But in contrast to what Webster suggests, I would like to suggest an alternate definition for counseling that is distinctly Christian. And here it is on your handout there. Biblical counseling is the opportunity to speak is the opportunity to speak into someone's life using God's wisdom and not your own. It's the opportunity to give advice to someone who asks for it. What makes counseling so different for uh, Christians is that our advice 
is not centered on behavioral, uh, behavioral changes. It's centered on God's wisdom and not our own. We're not seeking to give our opinion on the matter. We're seeking to show them what the Scriptures say and help them to see this is from God and this is why you need to change. And uh, so, so ultimately, biblical counseling is about God's perspective. And so for most of this hour, I'd like to, um, to kind of just flesh out what this means. And we're going to do it in two ways. We're going to say what biblical counseling is. We're going to spend a lot of time on that. And then what biblical counseling is not. All right, any questions or comments so far? All right, first, biblical counseling is defined by Scripture. Biblical counseling is defined by Scripture. Okay, so if biblical counseling is speaking God's wisdom to a person, then how is it that we as counselor find God's wisdom? And obviously the answer is very simple. It is we find it in His Word. We don't kind of just sit back and meditate on just our own thoughts and our own experiences. Primarily, we consider what God's Word has to say. And i found that the best counselors are those who know the Word of God the best. Uh, the times that I've gone to seek counsel from, uh, from people, i found that those who know the Scriptures best are the ones that help me the most. And based on what I can tell from, from learning from these men is that that they tend to kind of scan the Scriptures in their minds as they're listening to the various problems that are laid out. They scan the Scriptures to think, okay, what kind of uh, situation in the Scriptures, what passage of Scripture would speak to this specific need? And, uh, and so that's where we find the, the source of our counsel. It is in God's Word. To find God's wisdom, a biblical counselor needs to be in God's Word regularly. He or she must be characterized by a lifestyle of mining the deep well of Scripture, like Joshua 1.8 says, that, that we ought to meditate on it day and night. And to make sure that, that, that we're clear here about the role of Scripture, I've listed these two things, authority of Scripture and sufficiency of Scripture. This first one is, is critically important when it comes to biblical counsel because when you go to the secular model for counseling, which, which leans on heavy psychology, okay, that is, let's, let's examine the behavior and see what we can do to change the behavior. Uh, the authority is in a different place. Here, our authority is in the Word of God, that nothing has more authority over us than the Scriptures. Uh, Luther, Martin Luther once called the Scripture the norm of norms or the rule of all rules. It's the rule of faith and practice by which we measure our life. Are we meeting up to what the Scriptures have to say? And so the Bible is authoritative. It's authoritative in describing who God is and what He demands. It's, it's authoritative in explaining to people who they are and, who, and what their problems are all about. It's authoritative in shaping and defining the content and parameters for counseling. It's authoritative in pointing counselees to the only solution for their sin. So there's, there's several things that we could say about that. But, but one, we learn in the Bible who God is and what He demands. We learn who we are. Okay? We don't get to know God as we get to know more of ourselves. It doesn't work that way. No, we get to know more of ourselves by getting to know God. And it also tells us about our sin and the remedy for our sin. All those things are necessary when it comes to biblical counsel. 
That is, we need to help the person to see more clearly who God is. This specific sin that you're struggling with is a sin against God. And they, they need to see, that, see it as such. Uh, perhaps it's not a sin that they're struggling with. Maybe it's just a, uh, an, an issue of wisdom. But ultimately, the Scriptures are authoritative. Secondly, the Scriptures are sufficient. Okay, the Scriptures are sufficient. To say that something is sufficient is to say that is, it is enough. It is enough. It's enough for what it intends to do. So, for example, in Isaiah 55:11, God says there, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me without, without accomplishing what I intended for it to do. That is, it is sufficient. It's sufficient for, uh, to, to guide us towards salvation and a life of godliness. It's sufficient to, to, um, to help us to see that, that it, it defines what we believe and what we say and how we are to act. And everything that is put in the Scripture is, is necessary for our godliness, our, our growth in the Christian life. Did you notice that the Bible's scope is uh, comprehensive? That is, it says all that God wants to say about what we ought to know. Okay, it says all that God wants to say uh, us to know about godliness, but it doesn't say everything. Okay, there's a difference between comprehensiveness and exhaustiveness. Comprehensive means God said all He wanted to say on a particular topic. Have you ever been uh, maybe a little frustrated with how the scriptures are silent in some areas on things that you'd just like to know? And yet the Scriptures don't say everything that they could say. But what we need to understand is that they are sufficient. They say all that they want to say. God says all He wants to say in giving us the Scriptures. So there's a difference between comprehensive and exhaustive. If God wanted to, He could have given us an exhaustive encyclopedia of proof texts on every single issue that we would ever come across in life. Now, it would be a lot harder for us to carry around um, but but God could do it. But He didn't do that. Instead, He He gave us everything that He wanted to say on a particular topic. If someone calls me and says that his car is just broken down, well, I'm not going to go to the Bible to figure out how to fix his engine. Right? Okay, so the Scriptures don't say everything about... In the same way, when I was dating Jennifer, the Bible did not provide a verse that said, Go forth and marry Jennifer Miller of Waterloo, Iowa. Right? That didn't say anything about that. So the Scriptures say everything that, that God wanted to say about every topic that He wanted to address, but it doesn't say everything about everything. And so we have to recognize that, that um, the purpose of the Scripture is to speak, to give us everything that we need for life and godliness. That's what First Peter, Second uh, Peter 1.3 says. Alright, so biblical counseling is biblical counseling is defined by Scripture. The Scriptures are authoritative and sufficient. So this is where we always got to go back to. When it comes to counseling, when it comes to helping people along, even with unbelievers, helping them, pointing them to the truth is the most important thing. And that's why the Scriptures are, are so important. Alright? Any questions on that first one? Alright, that was... That took uh, probably the most time of, of these, but here's here's the next one. Number two, biblical counseling is molding people into Christ's image. All right, I, I listed there for you Titus two eleven and twelve. 
you understand that in Genesis 1, we were created in the image of God. In the image of God, He created male and female. We are His image bearers. And obviously, as a result, uh, because of the fall, we have marred that image. Now, that image is not totally lost. Even an unbeliever, they still have the image of God in them. But it's marred. It, it needs to be restored. And so that's what God does in salvation. I don't know if you thought about it in these terms, but but what God does to you in salvation is He starts that restoration process. It begins with justification by bringing you into His family, by removing from you the penalty of your sin. And then He, he uses your entire life as a Christian to restore you into the image of Christ. That's what Second Corinthians... In fact, turn there. Second Corinthians 3.18. This is one of the most important verses to understand with regard to sanctification. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Okay, so the unveiled face means that now we've, we've had the veil removed since the time of our salvation. We've had the veil removed. We're not disillusioned to what the Scriptures mean the significance of the Scriptures. So now we look at, with like a mirror, we look at the, the Word of God and notice what happens to us. And we are being transformed into the same image, the same image as the Word of God portrays, uh, from glory to glory. And the idea there is from one level of glory to the next level of glory. So that we start out at one place as a, as a brand new believer and we move to the next level of glory as we look into the mirror of God's Word just as from the Lord the Spirit. So, the work that God promises to do in us is the process of, of sanctification, that is, transformation, of metamorphosis, changing us from one level of glory to the next. And that's the process of changing us into the image of Christ. See, God is working to develop a relationship with people who were born sinners. And if if you think about it, it's 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 kind of um, it's kind of amazing because God is completely perfect and He can't dwell with sinners. His full presence doesn't ever come into contact with full with uh, with actual sinners. And so what He's doing is He's making for Himself a people who now are made into the image of Christ. That process, that transformation, that metamorphosis, is not finished until we are glorified. That's the final step in our sanctification. It's called final sanctification. Notice the, the text there on your handout, Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. And what does this salvation do? It instructs us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So, biblical counseling is molding people into Christ's image. This salvation that, that God has brought allows us to now say no to ungodliness and worldly not, lust and to say yes to, to righteous and sensible and godly living in this present age. And that's what we ought to be pointing people to. Um, even as Christians, we have lapses of momentary atheism. That is, Christians can have times in their lives where there there are moments where 
they're more defined by worldly thinking and ungodly assumptions rather than biblical thinking. Right? Have you experienced that? Maybe even this week. Perhaps you um, were, were doubting whether or not you know, uh, God was real, whether or not God was on your side, and, and started following after the things of this, this world. That, that, that is possible and, and actually probable for Christians at times. Certainly, it shouldn't be the regular pattern, but, but as biblical counseling... Uh, biblical counselors, uh, our responsibility is to draw out the world's influence of a person's life, this momentary atheism, and and redirect them back to that image-changing process that God is doing through the Word of God, our authority, and and the source of our practice. All right, any questions on the second one there? Okay, so we have the Bible as our source as our authority. It's sufficient for all that we need. And whenever there's an issue that comes up with regard to spiritual things, the Scriptures are going to be sufficient to answer those specific problems. Alright? And then we're seeking to mold people into the image of Christ. Thirdly, biblical counseling is in pursuit of biblical change. It's a pursuit of biblical change. Okay, so... This is one of the points that comes out in this book here, Instruments in a Redeemer's Hand, and also uh, Shepherding a Child's Heart by Paul Tripp's brother Ted. Also an excellent book. And the point there is is that if we've basically moved our children to a place of behavioral change and we haven't actually gotten to their heart, then we haven't actually done anything. Because we can we can um, create... We can create conformists, people who on the outside are doing all the right thing. And, and the same thing is true in biblical counseling. same thing is true in a local church. We can create people who are doing all the right things on the outside and their hearts are far from God. The same, and so we have to, we have to recognize that, that we're looking for actual change, not behavioral um, difference. Certainly that should be a result, but, but if that's ultimately what we're doing, just the behavior... It, the heart's not going to follow behind. It's the other way around. The behavior follows the heart. Eventually, the behavior will will uh, will reveal what's in the heart. Um, so, what needs to be changed first and foremost is their sin, as a person's sin, is our sin. Okay. And what you're going to find is that as you get better at biblical counseling, you'll be better able to help yourself when you have questions, when you are able to to deal with things because you know in the Scriptures what the Scriptures say. Obviously, there will always be need for a biblical counselor no matter how advanced you are because we are deceived often to our own sin. That's why we need the local church, by the way. Uh, we need one another that are watching out for us and, um, and, and helping us to guard against our self-deceived pursuit of sin. Okay, so what, what we're ultimately looking for is, is for repentance and belief. We want people to turn away from their old lifestyles of sin and unbelief and then turn toward Christ and put their trust in Him. And uh, so we want, to, we want to draw out the sin. We want to help people see that their sin is actually a form of unbelief. And um, we want to, to help them to see that God is worthy of being believed. And we want to see that happen internally, not 
merely externally. All right, we'll talk more about the heart and its role here in what is it, the third class. So see that more clearly then. Number four, biblical counsel is practical theology. Practical theology. Sometimes we walk away from church not sure how to apply God's truth to our life. Biblical counseling helps a person to understand the application. Okay, so here's the truth of the gospel, and and then here's the applications that we can draw from this and what it looks like in your life. Okay, so that's why it's important for us every time the word of God is open to think in those terms. Okay, what is the truth of God, and how can I apply it to to my life? And we need to get it in that order, by the way, because if we're looking just for application, we don't understand the truth, then our applications often will be messed up. Okay, so. So get good at that. Just every time you hear the Word of God, get good at at applying the truth of, of God to your life and then you'll be able to help other people apply it to their lives uh, when you are needed. Okay, so it starts with theology and it moves to... It starts with the study of God. Okay, It starts with understanding who God is, what He demands, what His Word is saying. It starts with understanding the truth and then it moves to... How do we apply this to my specific situation? Okay, so, so for example, um, you know whether or not I should marry Jennifer. You know, as, as I'm dating, what are the truths in Scripture that would help me to see what I ought to do here? Because, you know, I, I'm I'm weighing my options. I'm trying to see, you know, should I hold off? Should I should I do this? And there are some principles in the Scripture that will help point me toward a specific application. And then I have to just simply make a choice. All right, number five, biblical counseling is really a subcategory of discipleship. So if we think about it in terms of our responsibility as a church, each of us ought to be, re- be involved in discipling, in making disciples. And that means that, that we need to be thinking about what can I do to help encourage or to lift up, to build up, this person in their walk with God. And, and counseling is just a subset of that. It's, it's, a, it's a, um, really just a subcategory, a smaller form or a type of discipleship. And so there's going to be a lot of overlap in if you understand how to disciple and how to point people to Christ and to follow uh, as He leads. And... Uh, so, biblical counseling is subcategory of discipleship. Next, number six, biblical counseling is problem-centered and time-limited. Problem-centered and time-limited. So, while discipleship is is just ongoing and it's it's relational-driven, biblical counseling tends to be focused on one specific problem. Right? Someone comes and says, "I I don't know how to handle this. I've had thoughts of." Of suicide, I've had thoughts of divorce. What, what, what should I do? Okay, so it tends to be focused on one problem, while discipleship is, okay, let's keep moving you on. Come on, let, let's move, let's keep moving on to the next step, the next level of glory. So, so do you see the difference there? Or biblical counseling is more focused on one problem, and it's time limited. Once the problem is understood, and they know how to to re, to react to the problem and how to apply this to their life, how it affects their various um, decisions, then the counseling tends to end. And that's okay. 
Um, it's not meant to go on forever. The goal of, of every biblical counselor is to work his way out of a job, to, to deal with the problems and also train other people to do the same so that um, they can send that person on their way. Now they're able to stand up on their own and, and, uh, and move on with their Christian life. All right, let's try to think about this with regard to a word picture. And uh, I hesitate to do this because um, I've, I'm, I'm not fam- very familiar with this, but, but I've been told that, um, that there are, as you flow down a river, there are these eddies, little pools of water where you can kind of just uh, take some time to regroup, re-strategize. And, and I think if we think about this illustration, it might help us to understand what, how, what biblical counseling is and how it helps people to move through the Christian life. Every Christian sits in a river, and this river flows towards Christ. And as we flow down this river, we grow in love and, and, and affection for one another and for God. And we, as we go down this river, we, we hunger for God's Word. We earnestly seek God in prayer. We seek make, to make much of Christ. And we desperately look forward to the return of Christ. But there are times when we struggle as we're going down this river for one reason or another. Okay, so But apparently there are these small pools of water called eddies where the fishermen can pull off the water, reload their gear, get some rest, and even strategize strategize before continuing along on the river again. And counseling is much like that that little eddy. It's a it's a form of discipleship. The goal is to get down the river to Christ. And and there are times when we need to regroup. We need to kind of pull off to the side for a time to focus on some, some specific problems. What is it that's slowing me down? Why why is it that I can't make it? What's keeping me from getting closer to my Savior? And so our job is, as a biblical counselor would be to basically just hang out in that eddy for a time. And as people struggle and, and pull off to the side, um, we, we help them. We help them see what, what it is that's slowing them down. Help them sort through the Scripture and to pray with them and to, to work to remove obstacles. Well, well, here's your problem. You know, you're taking on water or... You know, you, you've got your anchor uh, dropped into the river. And, and then once we're done, then the person moves back on, moves, goes back down the river of the Christian life. And, and in the wider context, we can think of the local church. And, and obviously, then they're an active part of, of what Christ is doing in their life. Okay, so does that make sense? Biblical counseling, speaking God's Word to them, helping them to see... Um, Helping them to see God's wisdom, not our own, and using that to apply that apply it to their life so that they can be shaped into the image of Christ. All right, any questions or comments? Uh, I borrowed it from the people who write these materials. Yeah. What would you call it? A whirlpool. That might, not, yeah, that might not help. The place that, yeah, the the book that this comes from is uh, Steve Viar, V-I-A-R, the Discipleship River, and he uses this um, illustration.
Uh, actually, looks like a looks like some kind of an article. Yeah. All right. Well, just imagine that there's something that some kind of a pool of water that's not a whirlpool that you can pull off the side and and kind of resort. That's the idea. All right. So, what biblical counseling is not? Let's consider two things that biblical counseling is not. First, biblical counseling is not a psychological model. Okay, I mentioned at the beginning of the class um, that when we think of counseling, we often think of psychology. Psychology is the study of the psyche, the study of human beings. And psychology actually is very good at, at, um, at, at understanding patterns and, and, and observing what's going on. And uh, so they're to be commended for that. But, but psychology and counseling um, are, are much different. Now, they, they are similar in that they both are seeking to, to get to a resolution, right? We're, we're both trying to, to, to change behavior and thoughts and moods and so on. But secular psychology particularly is grounded in worldly and naturalistic assumptions, and it shuns anything that deals with the supernatural. And uh, as I've said in other venues before, uh, secular psychology particularly always starts with the wrong premise. They start with the premise that man is good by nature, and the Bible starts with the premise that man is not good by nature, that we are sick, and that we have sin as our problem, and that um, many of the problems that we have in our life and our lives are a result of our own sin or someone else's. And so we have to be careful in defining our counseling with uh, secular psychology because then if we do, then we'll just reduce change to just human terms and really leave God out of the picture. And that's what you're going to find in secular psychology. It, it will seek to, to change the human behavior. And what are the, some, of the, some of the ways that they change human behavior? You think of them? Okay, yeah, medication. So it's not really you. You know, if, if I have a problem, um, let, let's just say someone else, if someone else has a problem with immorality, well, you know, maybe that's some kind of a disorder, so we need to give you some medication for that. And you're starting to find that psychology is developing all sorts of medica- medication that, that handles one one thing or another. At least they're willing to, to attach a, a disorder or a disease to it. Hmm. Yeah. Paul? Like what? Yeah. Yeah, so they're going to do it with medication. They're going to do it, they're going to say they're going to blame it on your circumstances. So you need to you can't help that. It's because of your circumstance or because of your child, your upbringing, right? So so they all of the focus, let's say if I go into a psychologist with a legitimate sin issue that with with a biblical counselor would be handled by taking a person to the Word of God, helping them to see that that sin needs to be changed, needs to be repented of and turned to Christ. For them, they would say, well, here are all the issues, you know, like drunkenness, for example. Well, maybe you're an alcoholic. Maybe, you know, it's not your fault. Your dad was an alcoholic, so you have to be an alcoholic. And so let's see if we can do some things to help change that and maybe some medication or some just, obviously the disorder is quick, quick to be labeled on that kind of a person. And so it's all pointed away from God towards human wisdom. And obviously those are not... We shouldn't uh, necessarily just 
be foolish. Okay, don't under, don't think human wisdom versus human foolishness. So we want to be human, uh, humanly foolish. That's not my point. Uh, my point is that if we put all of our uh, all of our resources into human wisdom, we will fail. We will help other people fail as well. So, yeah, Jonathan. Right. Yeah, so the think happy thoughts type idea um, or... Right. Even though the the sin might still reside there in the heart, the behavior might have changed, but the sin's still there. And um, so we, we could talk about that and get into more detail about that. But But in contrast, biblical counseling will look to God's Word to define change. Biblical counseling will encourage people to live independence of God. That is, that we are being dependent upon God, not on, on our own ability to change. Like, I have to muster up more effort here. So we're seeking God's wisdom, not our own. That's what we said in the definition. Secondly, biblical counseling is not expected of every Christian. Now, maybe I should have put this at the beginning of the lesson because you're thinking, well, wait a second. You know? Yes, Greg. Yeah, uh, depends on what you define as a success, but I mean they would they would certainly see that they they're very successful from from God's perspective. I would say they don't have very much success. Yeah. 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 I, I don't know. Um. So remember, I said that biblical counseling is a subset of discipleship. Everybody ought to be involved in discipling. Biblical counseling, however, is not necessarily expected of every Christian. You may not feel equipped or ready to deal with some of the difficult problems that, that, that may come to you. What if someone comes to you and says, I'm thinking about committing suicide? How do you handle a situation like that? If you're not equipped or if you haven't thought through that, that's not something to play around with, right? Um, so so there, there will be times when people come to you, and, and I think on a... On, on some level, you, you ought to be able to do biblical counseling because you've already handled these problems yourself, right? Some of the problems that, that, that will come to you, a lot of the problems actually that will come to you are common to man, right? First Corinthians 10.13, they're common to man. That's what sin is. It's not something brand new. No one's ever experienced it before. It's, it's normal. And uh, so you should have dealt with some sin and with some repentance in your own life. And so you should be able to handle biblical counseling on some level. However, there will be things that you haven't thought through. There will be things that... And, and I, I get these kind of things all the time. You know, new, new issues that I hadn't thought through before or maybe hadn't thought through in the way that they're being, um, being uh, addressed or, or um, explained. So in that case, when you feel overwhelmed... And, and you feel like this is beyond you, then seek help. Seek help from someone who, who does know the Scripture. Seek help from, from one of the leaders in this church. Um, and obviously, I hope this class will help equip you better to be prepared for some of these difficult situations that you come across. But, but, um, but there will be times when, 
when you won't be able to uh, to handle some of those things. And don't feel badly about that. Just make sure that the that the problem is being handled properly. Sometimes what we do, uh, one second. Sometimes what we do is we we are quick to pass it off to someone else. And I think we can handle a lot of these things on our own. Um, and and I think we ought to at least give it give it a try. Uh, certainly, if we know that what we're talking about is is from the scripture, then move that person on to the ne- next level of glory. Help them to get back on the river and and uh, down down through the Christian life. Paul. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And uh, and and these kinds of things, by the way, don't come up in in conversations where the person is saying, "Hey, I'm looking for a biblical counselor to help me on," and then they list their problem. That's not how they come up. Instead, it's like, you know, I I sometimes wonder if God even exists. You know, I I don't know if if I should if I should continue uh, being married to my spouse after what they've done to me. Okay, that's the, that's the way that it comes up. And if you are saying, I, I've never dealt with something like this before. I don't know how to point this. And they're on the brink of collapse, spiritual collapse. Then, then yeah, I, I, I need to be able to know how to point them to, to somebody. And uh, what I'm suggesting is that you know, I'd be happy to handle any of those uh, questions or or, and I, I know other people in our church would, would as well. And, you know, if it's something beyond me, then I'd be happy to, happy to point them to someone else as well. So, in conclusion, biblical counseling is a way to help people with their problems, difficulties, and suffering. Biblical counseling focuses on God's wisdom through His Word and not our own opinions or insights. Biblical counseling is an immense privilege. It's the opportunity to speak into another believer's life. Immense privilege. And the goal is lasting spiritual change. We want to see people transformed. We want to see them move beyond this this um, this problem that's weighing them down. And, and what I've found in my own life and in observing the life of others is that the problems that we face, um, they don't tend to go away. So if I deal with financial problems, I'm, I'm not very wise with my money. They, it doesn't just automatically go away. It's something that that I need to, to re, if it's an issue of sin, I need to repent of and turn from that and then move on. Otherwise, it's going to be something that plagues me my whole life. If, if I'm constantly dealing with the sin of unrighteous anger or someone's dealing with some other significant sin, those types of things don't just go away. And so... So they need to be dealt with. And, and generally, what you're going to find is that when people actually are looking for biblical counseling, they've tried to deal with it on their own, and they've now hit a wall. And uh, so I would encourage you not to be ashamed to seek out biblical counseling, but, but what you're going to find is that when people come and ask for help, that's when they've, they've been dealing with it for a long time. It's not something that just came up. So... Um, recognize that it's it's something that that needs to be handled and and prayed about and and uh, you know we need to seek biblical wisdom and uh, that's not an easy thing to do any questions or comments before we're dismissed ken yeah 
Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, for an unsaved person, they're, the remedy for all of their sin problems is salvation. Um, the only other option is behavioral change. So if we give them biblical wisdom and say, you know, this is how you can handle this problem, and if you just do the, do it this way, well, still all that's going to be changed is the externals, and they may uh, they may reduce the consequences of their sin. You know, someone that keeps walking into a fire, we can we can change them from stop, you know, keep them from walking into the fire, but they still have the heart problem that's that's leading them into that danger, and and so ultimately. For an unbeliever, the primary counsel that I would give is that they need to they need to seek Christ. Now, a lot of times in 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 being saved, it doesn't eliminate all their problems right away. Uh, in fact, sometimes it makes our, their problems get worse, and that's part of taking up the the cross and following Christ. Um, just by way of illustration, um, Inner City Baptist Church sought. To open a counseling center at their church, and uh, to open it up to the public at one time, and Pastor Doran said that that he decided not to do that because um, he felt like it would be what's the word disingenuous, I think, uh, for believers. He can point them to the scriptures and say, "Here's what the scriptures prescribe." For unbelievers. It, it would be a little bit um, misleading because every single response that he would give to an unbeliever is always, you need Christ, right? Christ is the source of change. You're not going to believe this. This isn't going to change your heart until you have been saved. So you need to be saved. And so all these people would come and he would basically just have to give them a... And that's not a bad thing to give a person a gospel presentation, but to say that you have a counseling center... Uh, that that that's seeking to help you change, and and actually is is um, is giving the gospel. He felt that it was a little bit of a not not a bait and switch, but 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 a little bit misleading. And because of that, he decided not to to do that. And he led the church uh, in that way. So, um, but when he has unbelievers come to him, I know uh, from sitting in classes under him that, that he says that's that's what he primarily does. That they need Christ. And um, so, I wish it were easier than that. I wish we could just give them a list of prescribed things that that person can do. But, but, um, but ultimately, their biggest problem is their heart problem. It, that they're headed for judgment, and uh, the, the consequences of their sin may actually just be pointing them to Christ. And so if they have to continue experiencing those consequences in order to wake up to the truth of the gospel, then then that's actually a good thing. Um, so I I um uh, I don't I don't know how else to say it other than that, but I'll I'll um think through that some more and maybe we'll talk about that as we go go through. But that's a good question. All right, let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank You for uh, Your Word and that it is authoritative. And uh, Lord, we seek Your Word. We, we seek to know it each day as we read it and, and each week as we hear it preached. And even as we talk to people, uh, other believers, and, and help encourage one another 
we see the your word as the source of truth and and we're thankful that you have told us everything that we need for life and godliness and so we pray that you'd help us to meditate on it day and night that we would think about how it applies to us and to the people around us and that we would point other people to the truth both believers and unbelievers and that the result would be that we would be changed into the image of Christ and that you would receive more praise because of our lives being a reflection of your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.